helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Do good intentions outweigh good outcomes? That is a question we should all be asking ourselves, especially when someone asks us to give up something to help others. You may have all the good intentions in the world, but if they do not translate into good outcomes, then your intentions did not make things better. While this to me seems exceedingly obvious, it seems it's lost on so many Americans today. The problem with good intentions is that they seem to rarely be tested to see if they work. This often leads people to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, which Einstein said was insanity. Worse, by depending on intentions rather than results, we find ourselves in the tyranny of good intentions. We need to limit the production of carbon dioxide, not because it has been proven dangerous, but because it is people's intentions to save the planet. We have to give up firearms, not because there's evidence that it will reduce violent crime, but because that is the people's intention. The federal government has to get involved in education, not because there's evidence that they make it better, but it is their intention to do so. How long before our good intentions destroy not only the republic, but we the people? Well, hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study. This is where we read and study the Constitution, and we teach rising generation to be free. And I'm glad you could join me today, because uh, today's topic, this idea of the tyranny of good intentions, has been around for decades. It's, it's, it's ruled so many minds. It just seems that today it's gained so much adherence. We, we've literally walked away from, from uh, proving something is good. And merely recognizing, well, someone intends to do the right thing, therefore they must be allowed to do it. And just because you have good intentions doesn't mean what you're doing is, well, good. For example, the Senate Minority Leader in Florida's Senate has introduced a bill, well, I I thought it was a little strange. She said a bill 932 prohibits a person from allowing a dog to extend its head or any other body part outside of a motor vehicle window while the person is operating the motor vehicle on a public roadway. So this iconic picture of going down the road with a dog hanging its head out the window, he wants to criminalize. So I I assume this person has good intentions. Uh, He doesn't want the dog getting hurt. You you stick your head out the window, it's possible to to hit something uh, or to be hit by something. Uh, It could be dangerous, but... Is it really the role of the Florida legislature to criminalize a dog's desire to be out the window? Because you think about it, there's a reason why dogs stick their heads out the window. The breeze. They're picking up scents. But no, no, he wants to he wants to criminalize it. Now it also prohibits holding or operating a motor vehicle uh, with a dog in front of you that would interfere with your control of the, the driving mechanism. Now again, is it smart to drive with a dog in your lap? My dog's fairly large. It wouldn't work really well. But, you know, a little, a little dog, maybe a chihuahua or something like that. But again, 
Is it worth criminalizing? You know, it's funny. I, I was listening to a report the other day, and, and they were talking about um, district attorneys that are pleading down cases because, among other things, they've got too many cases. And it just made me think, could it possibly be because, well, we have laws that say um, we're going to criminalize a dog sticking its head out the window of a moving vehicle? Are we just making everything criminal? We just make crimes of everything. And again, I will still assume this person has good intentions. I just think he's this person has really a bad way of implementing them. And other good intentions, or at least I'll I'll assume good intentions. Or at least I'll try. How many cities are looking to ban gas stoves? Major cities nationwide, uh, Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, Seattle, New York, all of which have plans to criminalize gas stoves. Now, if you listen, if you read why they're criminalizing, well, there's a slight possibility that somebody with asthma might be aggravated by gas stoves. And I suppose it's a good intention that, well, if a person has asthma and, and that asthma is aggravated by gas stoves, I really don't think that's the person that's buying gas stoves. Now, I'm much more likely to believe that they're trying to ban gas stoves because we all know that fossil fuels are evil. At least that's what we've been told. Of course, we haven't had proof that fossil fuels are evil. In fact, there's actually proof that fossil fuels are good, that they are a, a, a major net benefit for societies. But if the idea is, is to get rid of gas stoves as a way of um, limiting greenhouse gas emissions, it's really stupid. Because the vast majority... Uh, so if you, if you get rid of gas, what are your options? Well, it's electric. Now, personally, I hate electric cooktops, but that's my personal preference. But okay, you're going to go electric. I'd like to, to ask, where do these cities get the electricity that would power the electric cooktops? Uh, how many of them get them from, oh, the natural gas they're trying to ban in the cooktop? How many get them from coal? Oh, no, they get it from wind and solar, which doesn't work all the time. And of course, everyone hates nuclear because, well, it's clean, it's efficient, and it's gotten a lot safer over the last few decades. But see, no. See, what we're dealing with are intentions rather than, um, than, than effective outcomes. Now, I might even go so far as to say, I don't think these, this ban on gas stoves are good intentions. They claim good intentions, but no, this is about controlling the American people. This is about you're being you're too stupid to realize that fossil fuels are killing you and you must be forced to stop. See, the problem with many of these good intention, good intention laws or just good intention public peer pressure is they rarely ask two very important questions. What will it cost and what are the unintended consequences? Classic example, when I was a young man, uh, New York State, I think they implemented the first helmet law. I'm not sure about that. I'm pretty sure they implemented the first seatbelt law. Now listen, I've worn helmets since I was a child. I remember my, when I was a young man, my father and my mother used to ride mini bikes, And uh, my father we made a deal. So if I could learn to ride my bicycle to a certain skill level, if I could follow, if I could pass a certain test on my bicycle, 
he would teach me how to ride the mini bike. The, I finally did it. It was time for me to learn to ride the mini bike. My father hands me a helmet. By the way, this is not your cheapo knockoff department store helmet. This is a race-rated helmet. He hands it to me in his head. And it's the only way my father could say, if I ever see you on a motorcycle without this helmet, getting into an accident will be the least of your problems. Uh, and it, that was important because that, that helmet saved my life one day. I was in a in, a, in an accident. And I was told no uncertain terms by the doctor. If I hadn't been wearing a helmet, I would have died. If I'd been wearing a cheap helmet, most likely I'd have been brain damaged. So I'm all for wearing helmets on motorcycles um, and seatbelts. I mean, I grew up watching auto racing. I grew up watching men wreck cars that I thought nobody could walk away with. And they undid the seatbelts and they walked away. So I, I, as a child, when we got into the, to the car, my mother would say the three ups, lock up, buckle up, and shut up in that order. It was drilled into me as a child. To this day, you know, I, I won't ride in a car if I don't have a seatbelt on. So I, I'm all for helmets and seatbelts, but the question is, what happens when you mandate them? Now, part of the problems you have is, uh, obviously, there is a cost to it. And I don't simply mean the financial cost. There's the responsibility cost. If I, if I decide to not wear a helmet, I take on a responsibility. If I decide to wear a helmet, I'm taking on a responsibility. By having the government say, no, you must wear a helmet, in many ways, people give up their the sense of responsibility for themselves. Well, the government said, if I wore this, I would be safe. I wore this and I wasn't safe. It's got to be the government's fault because you give up the sense of responsibility. I can't remember where I, where I read it, but the studies were done showing that as football safety equipment got better, more people were being injured. And what they found was that a lot of it had to do with the they became so reliant on the safety equipment that they they believed it would save them that the 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 players would would hit harder right? you give them a better helmet a better better pad and they're going to hit harder because that sense of of responsibility is taken away we 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 think you know the regulations will protect us rather than we having to make rational decisions for ourselves and, and my my, the, the one I, my personal favorite example is mandatory uh, uh, airbags. See, when they implemented mandatory airbags, one of the unintended, one of the, the costs that we didn't think of uh, uh, was the the not just the cost of the vehicle, but the cost of the responsibility. The unintended consequences. In football, it was people hit harder. With motorcycles, it, it was people were willing to take more risks. In car and seatbelts, it was uh, uh, people more lackadaisical about their implementation. But the interesting thing is the people is when they started putting in um, airbags, more people stopped stopped wearing seatbelts. See, they thought the airbag would save them because they didn't realize that the airbag is designed to work with the seatbelts to protect you, not to replace the seatbelts. See, there are unintended consequences for pretty much everything. And if we don't take the time to consider those unintended consequences, 
the unintended consequence of uh, um, you know, mandatory helmets leading people to wear helmets that are really not very good at all. We used to call them brain buckets when I was a kid. The, 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 the seatbelts to people, rather than actually wearing seatbelts, finding ways to get around wearing seatbelts. I even saw one advertisement for a, a, a shirt that looked like you were wearing a seatbelt when you really weren't. And the same thing with airbags. You give them airbags. Oh, I don't need to wear seatbelts now because of the unintended consequence of, of not understanding all the relationships that are there. See, good intentions, there's nothing, I should say, there's nothing wrong with good intentions. It's when the good intentions are the only thing that matters that we get in trouble. And this idea that we don't have to evaluate the outcomes because the intentions were good is really what leads us into so in so much trouble. You know, it, it reminds me of, of a childish response to, to getting caught. You know, but my intentions were good. I wanted to do the right thing. Don't judge me based on whether or not my ideas work. Judge me on my intentions, which means you never actually find if the stuff works or not. We never evaluate the, the effectiveness of your ideas because we're only judging them based on your intentions. And if you think about it, how do we know what your intentions truly are? See, we only know your intentions because, well, what you tell us. But how do we know that you're telling the truth if there's no way to prove that what you're telling us are truly your intentions? You see this kind of, of, of convoluted craziness that comes when we judge only based on intentions? I mean, from that standpoint, then uh, every member, uh, every team in the NFL won the Super Bowl. Well, they all start out the season intending to win the Super Bowl. So they on their good intentions. Didn't, don't all of them get a, a, a Lombardi trophy? Shouldn't every team in baseball win the World Series? Because that was their intention. Every, every soccer team should win the World Cup because that was their intention. See, it's irrational. But yet we use these standards so often. We're told this is how you, you judge things. This is how you evaluate things by people's intention. Which means we never learn from our mistakes. And if we never learn from our mistakes, well, we repeat them over and over again. Kind of reminds me of Santayana. Those who refuse to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Well, that could be Ancient history, world history, or personal history. If you refuse to learn from your own history by judging yourself only by your good intentions, then not only do you not learn from it, but you're doomed to repeat it over and over and over again. Now, I have some more examples I want to get into, but first, I have to take a break. Now, I'd really appreciate it if you head over to constitutionstudy.com. That's the main website for the Constitution Study. Not the radio program, but for the study itself. I've got a place where you can ask questions. And if you want, I'll even answer them on the radio. I have mailing lists. You can sign up and, and uh, uh, you know get my monthly newsletter or my weekly insider. You can even have my articles and videos that I develop on that website delivered directly to your mailbox as soon as they're published. 
there's other things. You can buy my books. You can you can engage me to come speak at your events or or help you with a project. All starts there at constitutionstudy.com. Now, one thing you may need help with is falling asleep. Now, I'm pretty good. I generally fall asleep really well unless I'm on the road. When I'm on the road the first night or two, I can't sleep. So I found this great product called REM Sleep. It's from Healthy Cell. Healthy Cell is a leading innovator in supplements designed to work at the cellular level. REM Sleep is the only sleep supplement designed to support all four stages of sleep. It helps you fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deeply so you can wake up refreshed and ready to go. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order from Healthy Cell if you use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. So please go to HealthyCell.com, put your card together, any of their products, REM sleep or any of the others, but use that code OUTLOUD at checkout. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud, and as a thank you, you'll get 25% off your first order. get real let's get loud on america out loud talk radio make sure you go to our website and check the banner bars the banner bars to the sponsors when you click on them automatically give you a discount on products i like especially healthy cell rem sleep supplement for a great night's sleep i took it last night no wonder i feel so good today check out healthy cell and go to our website banner bar to get a discount off your first purchase. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Welcome back to Everyday Americans. This is Paul Engel. We're here at the Constitution Study. And today, we're looking at the tyranny of good intentions. In other words, we all, you know, we don't want to be judged on the outcomes. We'd rather be judged on our intentions. I wanted to do the right thing. I was trying to help somebody. But if we never learn from our mistakes, we are doomed to repeat them over and over and over again. Now, if there's there are several terrible examples of good intentions and the true damage they have done. Now, interesting, I found this article about a Florida bill that actually wants to ban 
DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion statements as a hiring requirement or for tenure at colleges. Now, the reason this Florida bill is being looked at is because colleges and universities in Florida, back across the country, are starting to require these DEI statements as a hiring requirement. In other words, if you want a job or if you want tenure at one of these colleges or universities, as part of your resume, you must prove, you must show your, your bona fides when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, listen, those words, diversity, equity, inclusion, they sound good. They sound full of good intentions. But do they actually generate good outcomes? In fact, I would question whether the intentions they have are truly good. Now, I'm going to actually cover this in more detail tomorrow. My plan for tomorrow's episode, uh, I'm going to go deeper into this collectivist idea that uh, DEI is, is part of. But just think of this for a second. When they say diversity, diversity of what? Is it, is it diversity of thought? Is it diversity of ideas? Is it, is it a diversity of, of opinions that can work against each other to see, search for the truth? No. It's diversity of color. It's diversity of group. And if you think about that, that places a person's race, a person's gender, a person's sexual preferences above the outcome of what they do. Think of it this way. Let's say we're going to have some big get-together and we're all going to fly to, I don't know, pick someplace. We're all going to fly to Orlando, Florida. We're going to take over uh, one of the theme parks and we're going to have a big event. So we're going to need people to fly us from wherever we are to Orlando, Florida. Now, are you more interested in whether or not the pilots pass their qualifications, pass their medicals, and are up to date on their certifications, or the color of their skin. See, under DEI, the color of their skin is most first thing you have to have. It's not that the, the pilot is the most qualified, it's that they have the right color skin or they, they hit the right checkbox. I remember... Uh, decades ago, back when we lived in New York City, um, there was a big push to lower the physical standards, the physical requirements, physical uh, fitness requirements for female firefighters in New York City. Now, again, this to me, and I remember, I can't remember the person was doing it. They were promoting this idea that, that women should not have to meet the same physical fitness standards as men in order to qualify as a New York City firefighter. And this person's logic was, well, if they cannot lift a person to carry them down the stairs, they can, they can drag them by their heels, their head will be closer to the floor, where there's less smoke, it'll be better for them. Now, anybody who has a basic understanding of maybe, uh, oh, I don't know, physics, a little bit of biology, would realize that, that would mean bouncing that person's head off the steps as they go down. Now, my father, to me came up with the perfect answer. He says, I don't care if they're man, woman, red, white, blue, black, green, orange. If I'm in a burning building, I just want someone that's going to be able to pick my big butt up and carry me down the stairs. And that's the difference between intentions 
and outcomes. See, intentions say we will compromise the outcome because of the intention we have versus saying, you know what, those intentions may be fine, but is that the best way to get the outcomes that we want? Even to fulfill the intentions you have. See, the, as I understood it, the intentions of the, the movement in New York City was to have a greater, uh, um, to have more female firefighters simply because they, they wanted to be seen more. See, that to me is not a good intention. It's deemed a good intention by society, but it's really the most quali- the greatest qualification for a firefighter, their sex, or by the way, their color, their religion, their sexual preference, or is it that they can do the job? And this has gone so far. Again, it's not simply airline pilots. It's not simply firefighters, law enforcement. We see it in the military where the military is setting up quotas saying, oh, you know, well, we have to have more diversity in the, the, in the war fighters. No, I, I'm, not, I'm less interested in diversity. I'm more interested in people that can, you know, kill people and break things. If you are a trigger puller, if you are a fire, if you are a war fighter, my primary qualification for you is, are you qualified? Are you capable? Are you the best capable to kill people and break things? Maybe in some of the other requirements, it becomes less of an issue. But still, are you really telling me, because whenever you're talking about diversity and equity and inclusion, what you're really talking about is a lack of diverse thought, a lack of equal treatment, and an exclusion of people based on their race, their sexual preferences, their education, or their religion. But you see, we never think about that because, well, then we just got good intentions don't, don't judge us on what we actually say and do. Judge us based on our intentions. Sorry, I see this as nothing but uh, racism, sexism, and an attempt to destroy not just the American Republic, but the American society. And we see this in, in the latest quote-unquote good intentions around climate change. Now, again, we have plenty of actual scientific evidence, not, not the models, not the, the, the fairy tales of the global warming hysterics. No, actual science that the world is, if it is growing warmer, it's not doing so very quickly, that it is not primarily being driven by human action, and that actually a warming, an increase of, of CO2 might actually be good for the planet. But you see, that doesn't matter. Because people have this good intention of saving the planet by what? I, I mean, look at, at uh, uh, was the ICCC or, or Greta Thunberg or any of these, you know, uh, 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 Bill Gates, uh, any of these other climate hysterics. What seems to be their ultimate goal? What is it, do they th- I think, do they truly want to have happen? If they would rather die... Perhaps they had better do so and uh, decrease the surplus population. That does seem to be the plan, doesn't it? How do we decrease, in their mind, is the surplus population? Well, a team of researchers out of the University of Leeds say they have a, a way. They think they've come up with a better way of doing it. See, we've tried things like, you know, a carbon taxes and, and carbon offsets and what nonsense. They said, nope, here's what we need. We need a World War II rationing system. 
The researchers say that the concept of rationing could help not only in the mitigation of climate change, but also in reference to a variety of other social and political issues, such as the current energy crisis. Oh, so now we're going to have government decide how much food you could eat. And they'll issue a ration book. Does anyone from the World War II generation still around? Ask them what rationing did. Ask them how that impacted their lives. And ask them how long it took for black markets to turn the, to, to undermine the rationing system. See, the, the, the study laments that rationing has been neglected as a climate change mitigation policy option. It says, indeed, it may be that it is not only merely neglected, but it's considered by many to be an unpalatable option. It is not only an unpalatable option, ladies and gentlemen. In the United States, it's an illegal option. But what are the good intentions of rationing food? Because the intentions they have here is not to ration food to make more available for the poor. No, it's to ration food to control the world population. And how long do you think before rationing becomes politicized. This group doesn't get the same rations because, well, they're evil. Maybe because maybe because they're Jews or Slavs, or, or maybe because they are, are misfits or they're they're a burden on society. So we're going to restrict, if not eliminate, their rations. But of course, the people in charge, the elites, they will have plenty of they will get plenty of the ration books. Oh, don't worry about that. See, these aren't good intentions. These are evil intentions wrapped in the idea of we're trying to save the planet. I'm sorry. I look at your outcomes, at your desired outcomes, and what you're trying to do is destroy the human race. You see why we have to look not only at the outcomes, but you have to look at not, not the stated intentions, but the actual stated desired outcomes or the, the implied desired outcomes. For example, the the stated you know the the, the good intentions behind uh, a central bank digital currency is that well we can you, you don't have to worry about cash anymore we don't have to print up cash it's easy to use it's secure yeah but the unintended the the consequence of that is a surveillance state where every dollar you spend every transaction you make is monitored and approved by the Federal Reserve. Is that the outcome you want? Is that a good intention? See, simply looking at people's good intentions. Again, their intentions may be good. They may be looking at going, hey, this is just easier to deal with. We ought to use credit cards for the vast majority of our transactions. We're just taking it to the next level. And look at all the benefits. That may be their good intentions. But what are the outcomes? Imagine every transaction you have, again, being approved by the Fed. But Paul, if you're not doing anything criminal, why is that a problem? Because how long do you think before it will be politicized? The FBI is already going after parents for speaking up at school board meetings. They're already going after people who, who uh, uh, demonstrate outside of, preg- uh, of, of abortion centers while doing little, if anything, they spent months before they did anything about the actual attacks uh, on on pro-life centers and, and churches. 
How long do you think a digital currency becomes politicized? Those who, who don't like your right to keep and bear arms says we're not going to allow you to purchase firearms anymore. Or, or we're not going to allow you to purchase more than gasoline than we say. We're not going to allow you to purchase that gas stove or that gas car because we know better. See, this has got to look at more than simply good intentions. We have to look at what are the outcomes. So that's what a, a reasonable, intelligent adult does. And while most of the ideas I've talked about so far, you could say come from the progressive wing, what about those that claim to be the conservative wing? Take uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. He's now a, uh, he's made a candidate for the Republican presidential nomination. And uh, part of his proposals sounds like maybe good intentions. He claims that viewpoint censorship extends beyond the internet and pervades our economy. If you can't fire someone for being black, gay, or Muslim, you shouldn't be able to fire someone for his personal for his political speech. I will work with Congress to enshrine political expression as an American civil right, and I will enforce existing civil rights laws to protect workers from insidious viewpoint discrimination. The federal prohibition on religious discrimination forbids employers from forcing employees to bow down to any religion, including secular ones as defined by the Supreme Court and U.S. v. Seeger and Tarsko v. Watkins. Hey, sounds great. We need to get rid of viewpoint discrimination. I agree we should get rid of viewpoint discrimination. But do you really want to put the federal government in charge of it? Mr. Ramaswamy wants to work with Congress to enshrine political expression as an American civil right. Um, that's already been done, sir. It's called the First Amendment. He says, I will enforce existing civil rights laws to protect workers from invidious viewpoint, insidious viewpoint discrimination. Um, in other words, you're going to use federal law to deprive employers of their, of their rights. See, the very same viewpoint discrimination that you're, you're claiming to want to enshrine could also be used to say, oh, require a, a religious school to hire, uh, um, teachers that, that don't follow their religion. To say have have a, a Muslim school have to hire a Christian or a Christian school have to hire a Jew or or have a a, a devout Christian school have to uh, have a uh, hire a drag queen to teach um, and promote uh, transgender homosexual lifestyles. See the problem is if you put the federal government in charge, you're putting so you're letting someone else decide for you what your rights are. And Mr. Ramaswamy, if you're saying that you cannot fire someone for his political speech, aren't you therefore telling the employer that they have to promote, they have to allow political speech in their in their business? If you have a business that's run by a, a left-wing socialist progressive Democrat, are you saying they have to allow uh, um, a, 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 a more conservative, a more constitutional viewpoint must be expressed in their place? Are you telling them they must extel language they don't appreciate, they don't agree with? Isn't that by itself using a form of viewpoint censorship? We have to look not simply at the intentions, but at the outcomes. Now, I want to go back to some of the states, and I want to look at some of the um, the outcomes of some of the more ridiculous good intentions. But I have to take a break before I do.
I want to remind you, though, that the Constitution study is only one of several voices heard on AmericaOutloud.com. Stop there daily for the latest news and goings-on. See, in, in this environment, unlike Mr. Ramaswamy, I don't want to suppress speech. I want more speech. I want you to take the, the stories, the articles, the podcasts, the videos, and I want you to share them. I don't want you to shut someone else up. I want you to speak up more. So again, take these resources, share them, help show what we're talking about, help show the, the need not simply for good intentions, but for good outcomes, to show them what freedom and liberty truly is. See, that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is how we actually secure the blessings of liberty, not by shutting up our opponents, but by allowing them to express themselves and then providing better ideas. So please join me. Help me as we share this information, as we secure the blessings of liberty, and we teach others how to live free. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan, a plan based on real science that responds to the real world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure, a plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You know, I ended the last segment talking about uh, uh, teaching others how to live free. And that always reminds me of a, a verse from Scripture. It comes from the Gospels. I don't remember the the verse off the exact verse off the top of my head, but uh, Jesus refers to um, the Pharisees as enslaved, and they said, "We're not enslaved. We've never been enslaved." He points out, "You've been enslaved all your life. You just don't realize it." And I think that's a lot of what we end up with, right? We are just become so used to being enslaved, we don't realize we're enslaved anymore. And and here's an example. So a federal lawsuit was filed a few, a few weeks ago. In, in, in California, claiming that Sacramento's homeless encampments are a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Now, to me, this is actually a, a, a kind of an interesting uh, take on things. See, two disabled veterans who live in San Francisco are suing the city and the county, saying these homeless encampments are impeding their ability to walk safely because they've basically taken over public sidewalks. 
and prevents them from getting around. And since they're disabled, well, they're supposed to get special treatment. Now, one of them is legally blind. He navigates the city using a guide dog and a cane. And he said he's often forced to walk in the streets to get around these homeless encampments. Now, the other plaintiff uh, uses one of those mobility scooters. And he says he's often, often impeded because of broken glass, vomit, feces, and all kinds of other debris. Now, okay, here's where the good intentions have gone awry. Now, recognize, my wife is in a wheelchair. I am fully familiar with the Americans with, well, I'm familiar with the Americans with Disabilities Act. I'm familiar with the requirements. And I understand the logic behind it. You know, it's, yes, you know, I appreciate businesses that make reasonable accommodations for my wife's limited accessibility. Having parking where we can get her in and out of her wheelchair beside the car, very helpful. Having bathroom stalls that someone who can barely stand can use, very you know, very helpful, and I want to do business with them. But here's what we're using is now we're going to use that Americans with Disability Act to claim the, the fact that the streets are covered with, with broken glass and, and, and other debris isn't a problem for everyone else, but it's only a problem for the disabled. The fact that public streets are clogged up with these, these homeless encampments is not a problem for everybody else, only for the disabled. And let's face it, while the Americans with Disabilities Act had good intentions to make it easier for people with disabilities and other handicaps to um, participate in society, to work, to shop, to do what they have to do, um, this one-size-fits-all doesn't work. I can't tell you the number of handicapped stalls my wife cannot use because although they meet the federal requirements, they're not functional for most handicapped people. I can't tell you the number of times I've gone to a doctor's office and not been able to find parking where I can get my wife out of the wheelchair because the federal government says you must have X number of slots and they have no reason to put in more because, well, we've met the federal requirements. And I think if this case goes through, if these plaintiffs win, we're going to see the exact same thing. We're going to see the problem not dealt with, but simply moved into someone else's, to be someone else's problem. So that, oh, okay, you want to, they're going to put a handicap lane through the sidewalk that the, uh, uh, the, 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 the transients, the homeless can infringe on? How about we deal not with with the the disabled? How about we deal with the actual problem? The fact that in Sacramento and in many cities, especially socialist progressive cities, homelessness is now considered a virtue. If not a virtue, it's something that you have to tolerate. You you don't have property rights, you don't have have the liberty to go about your life. You must subvert that to homeless because you don't want to make them feel bad so i look at this lawsuit and i I understand the intentions of these two uh um residents i'm sure are are fine they they wish to go about their business 
unmolested by the issues of homelessness. My fear is that the outcomes won't fix the problem. They'll simple, they'll simply you know, shuffle around the deck chairs on the Titanic. While we're in California, there's another bill going around. I love this one. Um, the bill would prevent students being suspended for defying teachers or disrupting classes. So Senate Bill 274, which was introduced by uh, Senator Nancy Skinner, said that suspending students for what they call uh, willful defiant suspensions, right? disrupting class, defying teachers, um, that such suspensions lead to students dropping out and exacerbating learning loss at a time when many are still behind due to the COVID pandemic. All right, here, okay, so the, here's the quote-unquote good intentions. If you suspend students, they fall behind. And since many of them are already behind because of the COVID-19 pandemic, you can't say I'm doing scare quotes, then we have to stop these suspensions. All right, well, let's start with the most obvious. Um, what about the, uh, the learning loss for the rest of the class from a disruptive student? Let's say you have a class with 30 students in it, and they're doing their work, they're trying to learn, and you have one disruptive student. Should the 29 students pay for the disruptive actions of the one? Now, I'd like to ask Ms. Skinner, does that seem fair to you? Should 29 students not be allowed to uh, uh, learn or have their learning disrupted by a single student because you want to remove the greatest technique to remove a problem child from the class suspension but let's also look at this if a student is being willfully defiant if they are disrupting the class are they learning I grant it's been a long time since I was in school but I don't think the kid that's disrupting the class is actually learning very much while they're disrupting the class. So what this bill would do, which is quite common for California, is encourage exactly what's causing the problem. Because if you cannot remove a disruptive student, you not only punish the non-disruptive students, you encourage more disruption. You encourage more defying of teachers. You encourage more learning loss for the vast majority because of your idiot policies. And the fact that she's blaming COVID-19, COVID-19 did not cause the learning loss, Ms. Skinner. California policies caused the learning loss. The policies that shut down schools, that put kids in masks, that decided we're not going to teach them in person, we're going to do it remotely. All of this comes from is a fault of the legislature of the California. And now you want to take disruptive kids and allow them to continue to disrupt classrooms. And you're blaming your own policies for doing it indirectly. See, these are not good intentions. These are stupid intentions. And yes, I mean stupid. Not ignorant, not un, 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 uninformed. I mean stupid. 
And while we're here, let's do the hat trick from California. See, there's a new bill, another bill in California. Uh, this one, one uh, Assembly Bill 655, wants to allow children up to the age of 12, beyond the age of 12, or 12 and older, to consent to mental health services and counseling without parents' permission. Now, what was the good intentions? The good intentions that started all this nonsense was, listen, there are students that have, there are issues at home. The parents are not properly, they're not taking care of children. There, there's physical abuse, there's mental abuse, there's, there's a lack of, of proper nutrition, whatever. And when, if you have children that are in risk because their parents are failing in their job as parents, we have to do something. So let's empower the state to start making these decisions for them. And now we're to the point where, oh, the state has endorsed this lie called transgenderism. I have another article I want to cover about that. Hopefully I'll get that in the next couple of days. Yes, the whole transgender movement is, a, is, is based on a lie. I, I've talked about it before, but there's new evidence coming out. But let me get too distracted. So now what we're going to do is we want to separate children from their parents and put the state in place of the parent. So the state is going to look at the child and say, hey, we don't care about how mature you are. We don't care about how, how good you've been in decision making. We don't care if you're mentally or physically prepared to make such a decision. You've reached the age of 12. You get to make this decision. We're going to separate you from your parents and we're going to give you this information, and we're going to, to um, encourage you, indoctrinate you, groom you into whatever mental disease, whatever mental problem the state's promoting at the moment. Now, the Supreme Court has already recognized that parents have the, pro have the, the role, it is, their, it is their right to guide the education and health care of their children. This, by the way, is under the Ninth Amendment, that uh, there are rights that are not enumerated. So the parents have the right. So here you have the state of California, again, violating the Constitution by violating parents' rights to direct the health care of their children. Again, nothing new in California. It's been going on for quite a while. But the good intentions of let's deal with the problem child has now grown to every child gets to do this. We're not going to use any due process. We're not going to, to investigate and say, hey, wait a second. Are the parents not giving the child the health care that the state thinks they should have? Oh, by the way, yeah. Now we're putting the state in, in the place of the parents. See how the good intention go bad? Now, listen, when I was a, 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 a middle schooler, we first moved up from New York City, upstate New York. I became friends with a young man my age who uh, um, he was he, he was taken away from his mother because she wasn't able to take care of the children. He was he was in a foster home when I met him. It was the first day of uh, seventh grade. We met, we became friends, and uh, he lived with one family. Then he was with his mother for a while. Then he went to another family. So I, I have I understand there are times when parents. What they're doing is agreeable by society as to be not enough. You know, they're they're not providing what's necessary for their children. 
in that there are times when somebody has to step in. And since the American people have generally decided we're to, to, we won't do it ourselves, we want the state to do it for us. And it's a good intention to say, to see a child that's, you know, not getting enough food, not getting enough care, uh, that, that is not being treated well by their parents and want to get, make things better. That's a good intention. But we never thought of what happens when you let the state des- decide what is and is not proper care for a child. Because what the state decides is not a, a decision based on the welfare of the child. It's always based in politics. Everything government does is based in politics. And those good intentions now are leading to the destruction of the lives of our children. And if you want proof, uh, the state's Office of Child Development and Early uh, Learning is now requiring Pennsylvania social workers to determine if a newborn child identifies as non-binary. So we have this department. Again, child development and early learning. Okay, we want... We want child, children to develop well. We, we think learning is a good thing. Do we think the state is the best provider of that? But as they collect demographic information, they're actually collecting, identifying gender identity of infants. See, that's what happens. We go from how do we make sure that, that uh, all children have the chance to get proper education to now the indoctrination of because some bureaucrat, some social worker with a, a primarily with an agenda decides, you know what? This child is non-binary. How they come up with that, I have no idea. But that's not happening in Pennsylvania. I want you to think about the, the future of these children who from their infancy have been labeled with a mental issue. They can't tell man from woman. They can't tell male from female. And that's being pushed on them by state social workers. See, good intentions are not enough. For too long, we've allowed good intentions to supersede facts and reality. And because of that, a lot of the problems we are suffering in society today have little to do with um, actual, our, our, so much our problems. They have everything to do with, we've spent decades with this nonsense of, well, there's your truth and my truth, and what you say is true is not what I say is true, with this idea of we have these good intentions and we make up our decisions for ourselves and we never deal with the facts or the consequences. See, the tyranny of of good intentions. We don't want people to feel bad, so we won't tell them they're wrong. We don't want children to feel bad, so everybody gets a trophy. We don't want people to feel bad, so we won't use red markers. We don't want children to feel bad, so everybody passes. You end up with a society that is ignorant and unprepared to deal with reality. The the world around them, they, they assume, bends to their their will, their desire. And just ask yourself, look around. How many of the issues we're dealing with today 
are based on, well, you say one thing and I say another, and we can't be, and we both have to be right. Now, if there's one right thing you can do, is you can join me here at the Constitution Study every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard in the iHeartRadio network. Now, all my shows typically go to podcasts a day or two after they're heard on talk radio. You can find them on your favorite podcast app, but do me a favor, subscribe and rate the show. It helps people find the Constitution Study. You can find all the links at the homepage of AmericaOutloud.com, but please share them. We need to work together. I need you to help me as we share the blessings of liberty.